politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight what actually matters in our lives, our liberty, our property, our humanity. It's a tall order, but we are up to that task here at CR Podcast. Your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today for the end of the week, a week which has gone by way too fast, too much to do. But you look at the United States House and you're thinking like, they've been in power two and a half months. What have they done? What have they done on what matters? Yes, you hear a lot of banging, clanking of the pots, but where does it lead us? Where does it leave us? Lead and leave. <laughs> we, we, we have neither of that. If you think about it, you look at the biggest issues of our time, and even as they address them, they don't address them on point. So you have this big judiciary hearing on the censorship of Twitter, in part the censorship of vaccine injury, but not about vaccine injury itself, not about the fact that our government has built an empire of poisoning humanity in our bodies, killing people. What's worse than killing people is killing off the future generations. Lack of births, sterilization, stillbirths, miscarriages, congenital defects in birth. We're going to be talking about that today, the biggest issue of our life. If you are pro-life, there is no greater issue. And where is the agenda to get rid of the PrEP Act and all of those authorities that created this empire, the biomedical surveillance state, the mRNA state, the vaccine state? It's not even issue number 10. It's not even issue number 100. I can't even find an introduced bill doing any of this. No mention of anything important. And then you have, you know, the oversight committee. Again, they focus on the origins and Wuhan. Never what matters in the way it matters like we are here today. Right in front of us, we have a genocide of a generation not born. Everyone agrees this is a problem. Right in front of our eyes, we see the poisoning of people in East Palestine and God knows how far beyond that. They held a hearing on that, too, in the Senate, on the train derailment, this and that, not on the 800-pound gorilla in the room, getting the people out of the room and immediately testing how far the problem is. We see the death, and they say, oh, it's not happening. It's safe and effective. So, yeah, we're going to get into the genocide of a forced abortion, why the COVID shots are tantamount to a forced abortion, and very grimly, but apropos, our sponsor today is Policy Genius. If you have a family like I do, well, you got to prepare for the worst case scenario. What happens if the breadwinner moves on and you leave an entire family? A good life insurance plan can give you peace of mind that everyone would be taken care of. But typically, most people do not get nearly enough from an employer-sponsored life insurance. So you usually need to supplement on your own. Um, so what do you do? <clears throat> well... Policy Genius is not an insurance plan, but what they do is they aggregate on their website. You go to policygenius.com slash Daniel, and they made it so easy. Within a couple minutes, they'll spit back to you the best apples-to-apples comparisons of the lowest-cost life insurance plans. Policy Genius was built to modernize the life insurance industry, and they're really doing that today. 
Um, with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $25 per month for a million coverage. It's not for five or 600000 which is what you typically find for that. Some options offer coverage in as little as a week and avoid unnecessary medical exams. A lot of people don't like that. Uh, Policy Genius is licensed licensed agents who could help walk you through it over the phone. They work for you, not the insurance company. That means they don't have any incentive to recommend one over the other. The idea is to get you the cheapest, most convenient plan, no added fees. Um, No wonder they have thousands of five-star reviews on Google and Trustpilot. Your loved ones deserve a financial safety net that they can depend upon. So head over to policygenius.com slash Daniel or click uh, the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes. Again, policygenius.com slash Daniel. You deserve a smarter way to find and buy life insurance and financial peace of mind for your children and family. Folks, you know, there's going to be a big need for life insurance in that part of Ohio, I mean, it is unbelievable. So I want to start out with that and then get back to the vaccines or gene therapy. But this is from a substack from Eric F. Coppolino called Planet Waves FM. This guy's ev- evidently uh, uh, an expert on dioxin. So at the Senate hearing, the EPA said, "Oh, we tested, and there was no, there were no dioxins." Um, that and and the Indiana governor announced because the stuff was transported to Indiana. Eric Honeycomb, he announced that there's no problem with it, but it's not really true. They what 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 really happened is that the levels aren't high enough that they feel alarmed by. Analysis of contaminated soil originating from East Palestine by the state of Indiana has confirmed the presence of every dioxin and uh, dibenzofurin. Dibenzoforin, the lab looked for. So everyone they looked for was indeed found at some level. That includes the tetrachlorinated dioxins and furins, the most toxic chemicals known to medical science. The contaminated soil from February the February 3rd train derailment was transported to Indiana for disposal at some sort of facility. Dioxins and furins are not only carcinogens and cancer promoters, they are also and endocrine dis- disruptors that can cause birth defects, sterility, um, and many other problems up to, up to three generations. So isn't that interesting? Everything seems to land in that direction. They found a total of five different dioxins and five different um, dibenzofurins getting hits on every variety the lab analyzed for using a standard EPA protocol. Um, but they said it was safe. No problem. It's safe, just like just like the vaccines. Um, according to a March 8th memo prepared by the state's uh, Department of Environmental Management, the soil is acceptable for disposal. Location from which the soil was removed was not revealed in the state's news release or the memo with the results. There has still been no reporting testing, reported testing of the suit taken from the point source nor have there been any known wipe samples taken from nearby rooftops. And forget about the rooftops. We're seeing it in people's family in the, in the, inside of their homes. Um, so, yeah, this is where we are. This is where we are. Um, Carol von, von Strum, a historian of dioxin, 
said there is no safe level and to allow exposure to any level is premeditated murder. But no problem, no problem. They also point that there's an East Palestine resident, I can't pronounce her name, Zusha uh, Gayens. She posted on Facebook, I'm still living in a hotel. I just went into my house in East Palestine today. Over a month later, it still reeks with the most sickening chemical smell I've ever experienced. It's getting worse. I can't live there again. So I invite you all to come in and, and, you know, if you don't believe me to see what you think. My house is older, but the paint on the door has never had bubbles on it like it does now. And this definitely looks like some kind of muddy, dusty residue that's getting worse. She takes pictures of it and talks about how her chest, throat, and eyes hurt when she's just in town for 15 minutes. So, again, the question with this is not a matter of if it's a problem. It's a matter of how quickly people are going to die from it, how great the effects are, and how far is the net cast. Just like with the shots, we know it's killing people in the millions. We know that it's creating birth defects. We know it's creating sterilization. The question is how much for how long? <laughs> the, you know, it's just the details. This is a breakdown of the social compact of epic order. Again, 1776 is nothing compared to what we're experiencing. So it's like you have the problem right in front of you. But Republicans will kind of once in a while scrape the surface, but they'll never direct it that, wait a minute, the people need to be taken out from there, and we need independent commissions of individuals, experts like Stephen Petty, to do testing in the right locations and come up with a report. Instead, it's like railroad safety. And again, it's the same thing with COVID and the Wuhan focus. Dude, the focus needs to be getting these things off the market, getting everything in the pipeline off the market, banning the legal uh, and, and regulatory structure that has allowed this, fortifying human rights and bodily autonomy. Instead, they're out approving the RSV shots. Do you think this is going away on its own? This is from the Epic Times. Um, in the first study to systematically examine the public investments in mRNA vaccines, researchers have found that the U.S. government has substantially invested in mRNA vaccine technology before the COVID pandemic. Published in the British Medical Journal on March 1st, the study found that the government invested $31.9 billion in mRNA vaccines and technologies between 1985 and 2012. Now, obviously, most of that, most of the $32 billion was given to the companies for COVID, but there was $337 million, not insignificant, pre-pandemic. Pre-pandemic. Obviously, this has fueled Moderna and Pfizer netting over $100 billion in revenue from sales on their COVID products, an amount 20 times greater than the total budget of the WHO. There were 34 NIH grants that were directly related to mRNA COVID vaccines. Obviously, BARDA and the Defense Department were a part of it as well. This is the largest public investment for a disease ever. Hussein uh, Lalani, a fellow at Harvard Medical School and lead author of the study, said, Folks, do you think they're just going to abandon 
that entire enterprise. Like all these people think, oh, Daniel, COVID's over with. I don't want to focus on that. We don't need legislative changes. We don't need the rise of the Fourth Reich. We don't need to buy the book and give it to our legislators. It's over. Do you think they're just going to walk away from those billions of dollars? No. They have an entire system of medical experimentations down the pike. And they're not really experiments because we know what they do now. Oh, they uh, cause birth defects in the lab rats? Awesome. Now we're going to bring them on to human beings. And they're building the surveillance state, the coercion state, the mandate state. And you can't get around it. And then they're going to think of innovative ideas that we need to get ahead of. Putting in the cattle, putting in other products, self-spreading vaccines. What's it going to take? What's it going to take? Now, it's funny. As we talk about some of this legislation, we're told that a private business could mandate anything they want on your body. Really? Tell that to anyone running a small business that has to deal with every nightmare HR scenario where you can't even look at an employer wrong without getting a um, wrongful termination lawsuit. That's why I recommend Bambi that gives you access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 per month. Uh, typically, HR manager could cost eighty grand a year, but here you can get it for literally $1,200 a year, but it's month to month. You could cancel any time. Um, it's the same individual that you get attached to your company, available by phone, email, real-time chat, from onboarding to terminations. Um, they monitor peak performance, make sure your business stays compliant with the ever-changing HR regulations, which are many. Um, and with their autopilot program, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. This is really, really, really important. They're U.S.-based, um, so you don't get some sort of Indian uh, that you can't understand. So schedule your free conversation today. I know we got a lot of small business owners in this audience uh, let Bambi take the garbage off your plate so you could do what you got into business to do. Go to Bambi.com right now. Type in conservative review under podcast when they ask you where you heard heard about it when you sign up, and it will help this show help you. Bam to the B, B-A-M-B-E-E.com. Type in conservative review. So, folks, there's this... Um, Article here in the the Australian Sun. Death riddle. Mystery is Australians dying at levels not seen in 80 years. And UK might be seeing the same phenomenon. More than 174,000 deaths were registered in Australia in 2012, 2022. 12% more than predicted. Of the additional 20,000 deaths, they say about half were due to COVID. So again... The same pattern everywhere. Record COVID deaths and non-COVID deaths all after everyone was boosted. And what were most of the deaths related to? You guessed it, heart disease and cancer. Now, yes, we know heart disease and cancer are the biggest killers. But, had, but, but it's pretty stagnant. How do you have a sudden epidemic without knowing there's an epidemic? And that's kind of what we have. We have an epidemic without anyone talking about it. The Babylon Bee had a great 
parody about people dropping dead at podiums one after another. That's kind of what's happening. It's like everyone's dropping dead. Same, you know, same thing with the East Palestine situation. And there's no direction. There's no sense of urgency or sense of direction from anyone on the right. And they're, they're not done with this. It's from Gateway Pundit. The Biden regime is looking into mass vaccination campaign with the support of Big Pharma in response to an avian influenza pandemic that has killed millions of chickens. Um, according to New York Times, Biden sees the rising cost of the eggs along with inflation in general as a severe threat to his re-election. Biden thinks a mass vaccination campaign could provide relief to inflation. For President Biden, there are also political considerations at work. Egg, egg prices, which soared 70% higher this year, if a vaccination campaign could provide economic relief for households, Mr. Biden would certainly be interested. The CEO of Zotis, the manufacturer of the bird flu vaccine, is Kristen Peck. She used to work at Pfizer, is now CEO of Zotis, a Pfizer spinoff, and the largest animal, ma- animal vaccination manufacturer in the wor- world. She sits on the BlackRock board and is lobbying the Biden regime to vaccinate every U.S. chicken for bird flu. Now, I think we kind of have a sneaking suspicion as to where bird flu came from. (laughs) And now, again, create the pathogen, create the vaccine that's even worse, worse than the pathogen, force you into it. You tell me what's worse than that in humanity. So I want to I wanna double down on this with our next guest. But first, I just want to get something off my chest. We're talking about a lack of goals, a lack of specific play calls. Do this, don't do this from the right. I want to tout a success. We talked about last week, we highlighted this bill, 1193 in South Dakota, that's really everywhere else now that changes the rules of the Uniform Commerce Code to define money in a way that would include central digital digital currency, but not any alternative like cryptocurrency, which would be barred from the definition of money in commerce transactions. So this really would grease the skids for a central digital currency while precluding the escape hatch of, let's say, Bitcoin which is similar to what they're doing banning fossil fuels in order to set up their green energy regime, banning you know, sane, healthy treatments while creating a scenario where you can only get poisonous vaccines, banning healthy protein while you'll be forced to eat toxic you know, hormones and, and bugs. Same di- dynamic. Very specific bill. Glenn Beck and I got involved in this, called on Christy Nome to veto it. The Freedom Caucus wrote a letter noting our opposition, citing my article, and lo and behold, I wake up today, first news of the day, I see Governor Christy Nome vetoed the bill. That is what it means to be focused. And, and this is just a glimpse into what red states would look like if conservative media would actually focus on their legislative sessions, focus on policy, focus the 
pressure that they use on Biden that's not going to work because Biden doesn't care what they think on Republican governors. Ask and you shall receive. It's that simple. It's unbelievable to think about where we could have been as a nation had we had a conservative media focused on the issues that matter in the exact way they matter with a very definitive outcome and and importantly at the time they matter, not after the fact, to get ahead of it. Whether it's policy, whether it's primaries, we could have been in a much better place. But instead we have this aimless just direction, oh, the Democrats, talking points. But even as they some as they focus on East Palestine, even as they focus on Wuhan, those issues get worse. The infrastructure put in place to poison us gets worse and worse. And today we're going to talk about the worst aspect of the COVID shots and the poison. That's just truly unmanageable. Our interview today is sponsored by Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative wireless provider. Now you really have no excuse to use AT&T, T-Mobile, and Verizon because they actually offer the service along with the other three major networks. That means if you're with the big three, you like the service but hate the values, you can access them with Patriot Mobile. They also offer a performance guarantee, so if you're not happy with your coverage for whatever reason, you could switch back for free. Um, They offer the same coverage. Literally, you won't know the difference other than you actually have a U.S.-based, English-speaking customer service notoriously bad with the wireless providers. You get someone that just gives you the runaround. Verizon is awful. Um, That's the one I used to experience. PatriotMobile.com slash CR is the website. 878-PATRIOT is the phone number. You get free activation today with offer code CR. Again, that's patriotmobile.com slash CR. 878-PATRIOT for their U.S.-based number. Make the switch today. Stop funding those that hate our values. So, folks, part of why Steve and I wrote The Rise of the Fourth Reich is because we can't just walk away from this. Our eyes can't unsee the things we've seen Our eyes can't unhear the things we've heard. And that would be true if this were indeed in the past tense. That it was a genocide that took place and it's all over with. But as we've noted, it's still going on. And in fact, the deaths and damage appears to be accelerating even though there's not much new vaccine take up. They're working on new biomedical security, surveillance, coercion, new Terrible vaccines out of the gate, including mRNA ones, known to have cardiovascular problems, known to cause inflammation throughout the body, known to have no animal trials, no human trials. Hey, just uh, look at antibody titers. Safety and efficacy doesn't matter. And we're just continuing. No impetus to do what's right to stop this. One of the biggest aspects, if not the biggest thing that I think we cannot unsee, where this willful, willful misconduct, not negligence, but willful malfeasance is on display, is as it relates to pregnant women in particular, but really reproductive health. Obviously, the precautionary principle that's applied in medicine is practice times 10 as it relates to pregnancy. There's almost nothing that's approved officially for pregnant women. Um, you know, Pregnant women can't take Advil, can't take a lot of common things. Yet this shot, 
without any studies to this day. Pfizer admitted it to this day. And not that we could trust their studies, but they don't even purport to have studies to this day. Yet it is mandated on women in healthcare settings, has been mandated everywhere, and by the way, has been mandated by many OBGYN practices on their patients. And if not mandated, certainly very strongly encouraged, not just put on the market and approved like you're able to get it, which is bad enough for something like this. And that would be bad enough for any experimental technology. But certainly from day one when they saw that with regular people, it caused every sort of inflammatory disease, cardiovascular, neurological, autoimmune, you name it, it's all good. It's all good. And one of the first things noticed out of the gate, something that was never seen on such a ubiquitous plane in, in human history, were the menstrual irregularities. All these people wouldn't get a period for three months. Oh, and then we see all these other problems. But, oh, and then we see the lipid nanoparticles deposit in the ovaries and the testes. But no, it, 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 it's, not, it's not a problem. You can't, you can't prove it. Prove it. Prove it. Innocent until proven guilty. Well, no, when it comes to therapeutics, it's guilty until proven innocent, and again, certainly with pregnant women. You know there's only been one animal study ever performed. It was performed by Charles River, one of the world's main animal labs used by pharma. You know, it was done for Pfizer. And to this day, to this day, that's it. And we didn't even know until the TGA documents came out from Australia, but it turns out that the loss of pregnancies in the Pfizer arm of the rat experiment were about double those in the control group. I mean, this is straight up in the TGA documents. And still, the policy has not changed. Um, I mean, aside from the Florida Department of Health putting out health alerts on it, no other state is warning against it for pregnant women. And in fact, it is still mandated. Women who want to go to college including in red states, by the way, like Indiana. University of Indiana requires it. Pregnant women, hospitals in, in all states requiring it. How is this happening? And how are the OBGs silent on what we're seeing? Well, today we have with us someone who is not silenced, because silence is not golden, um, who has been noticing things, again, that her eyes couldn't unsee, and she had to divulges to the public, Dr. Kim Biss is an OBGYN in the St. Petersburg, Florida area. She is also a hospital chief of staff in a local hospital. We'll keep it at that for now so we don't get her in trouble. Dr. Biss, I've been meaning to have you on for so long and really appreciate you joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. All right, so you heard my filibuster there. Now everyone wants to hear from you. You're there at the scene of the crime. You're an OBG, many years in practice. Um, you know, I would imagine that statistically, pregnancy outcomes are pretty, you know, stagnant in terms of uh, how many pregnancies you see, how many lost pregnancies, stillbirths, um, complicated deliveries. What have you seen, kind of a broad picture, since 2020? 2021 and 2022? So I started to notice in November of 2021 when a staff member came up to me and said, we're having a huge number of miscarriages this month. 
And you have to understand in an obstetric practice where there's other providers seeing the patients, you don't necessarily know what's going on with the entire obstetric practice every day unless you do a deep dive into the data. So I started tracking our patients, and I went back to January of 2020, and I tracked them through uh, November of 2022 um, when I sent my data to Jessica Rose. And I saw that in 2020, the month-to-month average miscarriage rate was about 4%. You will read in the literature or the textbooks for obstetrics that the accepted rate, let's say not necessarily to the patient, is 10 to 15%. I will tell you, I've never seen that clinically. And (laughs) probably 5 to 6% would be the honest uh, percentage. So in January of 2020, the year of COVID, when we had no vaccine, in air quotes, um, and no treatments, which we did, um, the miscarriage rate was 4% on month to month. Now, in 2021, the miscarriage rate in my practice went up by 100%. It doubled to 7 to 8% on average from month to month. And then in 2022, it doubled again to 15%. That was up to the end of November 2022. Now, in December of 2022, the miscarriage rate in my practice was 25%. We had 40 newly registered first trimester pregnant patients, and 13 of them had a pregnancy loss. So far this year, the miscarriage rate is 15 to 20%. <laughs> and I've also noticed we're not seeing as many newly registered obstetric patients from year to year, which may also explain an element of infertility. As we all know, the birth rate is down globally. Our country is not very forthcoming with those statistics. Yeah, but we have it from other, Europe. Other countries have been, Australia as well. Um, and, you know, I'm not buying that people are deciding to not get pregnant because of climate change. Um, <laughs> there's definitely an increased risk of infertility, and the infertility specialists in our country and around the globe are making bank because there's a lot of patients that had no problems getting pregnant prior to these injections, and now they're having you know, a hard time. And it's not just female infertility. It's also the males because you had addressed that the lipid nanoparticles not only have been found to go to ovaries, but also go to testes and it's affecting, you know, sperm counts, et cetera. So that's been my observation. I fortunately in my area, um, I've pulled the data for my obstetric unit. We have not seen an increase in stillbirth uh, rates like there have been noticed in other parts of our country and around the world, um, but uh, definitely have seen an increase in some pregnancy issues such as preeclampsia, which is hypertension in pregnancy, which usually occurs in the third trimester, as well as low amniotic fluid around the babies. And this is those both conditions are representative of the poor function of the placenta. Um, and this is resulting in uh, making women have their babies sooner than they're due. Um, and the other thing we're seeing that's of concern is an increase in postpartum hemorrhages, which would be bleeding after delivery usually occurs within the first 24 hours after birth. 
Um, the definition is anywhere from a half a liter to a liter of blood, which if you use, lose a liter of blood, that's 20% of your blood volume. So that's a pretty significant amount. And our traditional manners uh, uh, managing the, that problem are not working. And there are some women that are ending up having to have emergency hysterectomies because we can't control the bleeding. So it's very concerning. Um, there, uh, Dr. Ryan Cole does have some tissue samples he's looking at, uh, a lot of placentas, and he is finding spike protein um, in these uh, tissue samples. So this stuff does not just stay in the arm. It travels all through the body. It's not just the spike protein, in my opinion, because we weren't seeing these problems in 2020. Mm. So there have Yes, there has to be like the lipid nanoparticles or something else involved in the injections that's, you know, compounding the problem. So that is a very scary overview because, again, you're you're an OBG, but you're also chief of staff in a hospital. So you certainly oversee what goes on in the maternal wards in, 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 that, in that hospital. And... Your clinical observations seem to jive perfectly with what has first it was crazy when we saw it, like in the first countries, like, no, nah, it can't be, it can't be. But then it got consistently. And what we've noticed is that, like you said, it's about nine months after the uptake in that age bracket of the vaccine in the given country. I know I took note that you said November 2021. So that would peg it around, you know, February, March. Because that's really when, you know, non-seniors were allowed to get the shot in America, most people. Um, interestingly enough, in Europe, continental Europe, because Pfizer shook them down and they didn't have as much money. So there was a little bit of a contract standoff. They were a couple months behind us. Then they, you know, overcompensated and eventually their rates were higher. But it wasn't noticed until 2022, a couple months later. Why is it that you wouldn't see it? I guess my question is, why wouldn't you see it until nine months later? Why wouldn't you see it like, you know, let's say someone gets the injection um, in, you know, beginning of 2021. Why wouldn't you see it three, five months later? Well, again, it may have been an issue. It's just that I wasn't tracking it. I wasn't seeing, you know, the, the patients that I came across, um, you know, weren't necessarily the ones having the losses. It may have been with another practitioner in my practice. It was just a staff member that came up to me in November, and I was out November and December of that year because I fell and broke my arm. I don't have a good story at all. I was totally sober, but I, you know, need two arms to do my job, so I wasn't in the office seeing patients, and I came in to try to get some clerical work done, and my staff member brought this to my attention, and that's when I started to pay more attention, but I will tell you, um, the injections in uh, Florida... Uh, pretty much parallels in the pregnant population with the general population of Florida. Our injection rate, at least for the first two, if you look to the CDC website numbers, is about 65 to 70%. And I looked at my entire pregnancy population of last year, and 60% of them received at least two injections. So they pretty much parallel the population of Florida. And I remember in January and February of that year, uh, certain practitioners were writing uh, uh, or filling out documents so the obstetric patients could go to the front of the line after the elderly to get these injections because they're, in air quotes, immunocompromised 
Um, so they may have started, a lot of them, you know, started to get the injections in February and March, but I would say probably the majority would probably have started um, in April and, you know, through May and June mm-hmm. and it's down here. Now, you brought up how Europe is behind us. Well, you know who's ahead of us? Israel. Israel is uh, Pfizer's, you know, crash test dummy country, and they started their injections way before we did here in the States. And, you know, their Ministry of Health was reporting, or maybe not their Ministry of Health, but somebody was tracking, and they were already seeing that there was an increase in some bad outcomes, and miscarriages is one of them. So um, they already were starting their boosters in uh, July of 2021, whereas in the States for us, it was like August or September. And they were already showing that the vaccines were starting to fail. There's a lot of information out of Israel that, you know, uh, a lot more than uh, in our country that's being released to the public, sadly. Do you have access to, you know, the data on who had miscarriages, bad outcomes, by vaccination status? Is that something you were able to pull? So I do not have the vaccination status on every patient because, again, I'm not the only one that's seeing these people and collecting that information. Um, My partner in my practice and my practitioners have all been injected, so they don't look at it the same way I do. And and it's hard if you're seeing a patient for the first time and she's miscarrying to ask her, have you had a COVID shot? Because that may come across to them as accusatory mm. and may, you know, cause them to feel like they've done something to cause the loss. So if we don't have that information already in her chart, it's hard to access that information at that point in time. But I would say it's safe to say that 60% of the people that I've reported their statistics have probably had at least two of the injections. So I've been dying to ask you this. You know, this is what I don't understand. You mentioned other people who work with you. I don't understand. It's like being a weatherman with boring weather, and then one day you have a massive hurricane, and then somehow you're just not focused on that or involved in it. I don't understand if you're if you're into obstetrics, and that's your specialty. There's no There's no way your observations could be correct and there could be, you know, other people observing nothing. Now they could try to deny the cause of it, but the observation itself, I don't understand. What are your colleagues saying? They don't see anything abnormal. They're not troubled by what they're seeing. You know, I, I've heard a lot of um, uh, descriptions, but willful blindness is one. I mean, I, uh, there's discussions that just can't be had. I mean, I, I tried to have a discussion with my partner uh, in September of 2021 when we all received that nice little gag order email from our American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology that basically said, play nice, don't say anything about negative about the vaccines or you'll lose your board certification, which essentially renders you unable to practice. Uh, that's not the same as losing your medical license, but most hospitals and insurance companies will require that you're board certified. Um, we weren't the only ones that received that. Uh, the pediatricians did as well as some other medical specialties. 
Um, so when we received that email, I tried to have a discussion with him, with my partner, and basically it just it fell on deaf ears. And the the <laughs> the statement that was made was, you know, obviously there's smarter people than us making these decisions, and I'm just going to follow what the guidelines are. And I was like, oh my god. No, I understand, so, but I'm just saying the data itself. Like for example, you know, the media in Australia is admitting they have more deaths than they've had in 80 years, and New Zealand more deaths than they've had in 100 years. That much they're admitting. Now they don't would say the cause of it. So on the birth side of the equation, do they? deny that there is an inordinate amount of um, bad outcomes and miscarriages? I So, yeah, that's you, you brought up an important point because I think in 2021 it was the first year in a very long time where the death rate actually exceeded the birth rate, and it's going to be the same for 2022 and probably this year. Um, I think what it is, honestly, is, you know, they, I've seen a percentage quoted that 96% of physicians in the United States ended up getting the first two series of these messenger yep. RNA injections. Now, that, of course, was derived from a study for the American Medical Association where there was only, I think, a thousand people surveyed. So I don't really think that represents the tens of thousands of physicians in our country, but that's been the quoted percentage. And there's a reason why first responders were injected first, because as somebody who's been on many medical uh, fundraising events, I've always been told by the people uh, that, that are managing the funds that if, if doctors donate money, so will then the public. So, you know, if doctors, policemen, nurses, et cetera, all got injected, then the lay public would follow. And that's the reason why they started with first responders. It's not because they gave two shits about us. But I think it's very hard, unlike some people that are out there now talking against the injections that they, they themselves had had, such as Robert Malone and Steve Kirsch. Um, it's very hard to uh, accept the fact that you may have done something wrong to yourself, your wife, your children, and the recommendations you made to many patients. So I just think it's it's a psychological thing, and it's and that is very strong and makes you not be able to see what's going on around you. Indeed. That's my opinion. That's my opinion. It, it, it is It is truly, truly shocking to watch this. Um, one of the things that disturbs me about what you're saying, and I think the macro data that we're seeing from Europe does indicate this as well, is that even though there are, are few people getting new shots over the last, you know, really the last year, it's slow to a trickle. Um, and to the extent there would be new ones, it would be more seniors just getting terrorized to get endless boosters. But yet the birth rate problem seems to be getting worse. Right. That That's what it seems like your data is showing. Why? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's multifactorial. I, I remember way in the beginning, um, uh, Dr. Michael Yeadon um, and um, – uh, I can't remember his name. This is awful. Um, Bakri, Dr. Bakri, uh, he's over in Europe as well. They both were concerned with the antibodies that were going to be created against the spike protein that these messenger RNA uh, injections make you make. They're essentially making you to have an autoimmune reaction. Um, they're making your body make antibodies to a protein your body makes. <laughs> That's classic for an autoimmune reaction. But their concern was there's a layer in the embryo as it's implanting in the uterine lining called the syncytial layer. 
And the, the proteins in that layer are very, very similar to the spike protein for the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And they were afraid that the, if the antibodies were created, um, you know, towards the spike could perhaps somehow attack that mm. early. Would Now, that, of course, has not been, I'm just saying that was their concern. And I don't know if there's been any literature I've yet to see that supports that. But the other thing is you brought up the cycle irregularity. I mean, obviously, if a woman's menstrual cycle is, you know, not on point, she's going to have an issue with conceiving a pregnancy. So, you know, why are women having these cycle abnormalities? Well, is it because there's something going on at the level of the ovary? We know the lipid nanoparticles go to the ovary. Does it have something to do with the spike protein and both the lipid nanoparticles that's just causing inflammation? You know, fertilization does not occur in an inflammatory environment. Um, you know, I mean, it, it, it's multifactorial. Bottom line is we need to figure out what's going on so we can help these people. Um, and and the, the concern, too, as well, is that we know the messenger RNA uh, is crossing the placental barrier into the fetus. It's been found in breast milk as well, but it crosses to the fetus. And if you have a female fetus at about 20 weeks of gestation, all the eggs that female is ever going to have are made and that's it. Wow. And they slowly are off, die off as soon as she's born. Um, if these lipid nanoparticles cross into that baby and get into her ovaries, what does that mean? Because this is this will be a multi-generational problem at that point. We will not know what that means until that little girl is supposed to get her period. Uh, and she may not, you know. So we just don't know what we don't know. But there's been so many safety signals, and I'm just amazed that we're still recommending this. Nobody, our American College of OBGYN has not retracted any of their recommendations. I mean, it's it's scary. And I, I can't just, believe I, this. I'm just yeah, I'm just I, listening to you, and it's like, so not only is it this generation of pregnant women, but then you have to worry about all the girls that got it, you know, at any age, 10, 12, 15, and then now you're saying even it could be multi-generational because they could have never gotten the shot at all. Um, but if, if they were a fetus at the time and it got into the plus through the placenta, through the fetus, well, we lost our control group in the next generation. <laughs> right. And if I could just, cause I, I looked this up prior to uh, you calling me, but there's a, ACOG, American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, if you go on the website, the patients have access to their committee opinions, which are printed monthly. And number 390, which was actually printed back in December of 2007, was a opinion piece on ethics. And on pages five through six, it discusses informed consent. And I would argue that our pregnant patients were denied informed consent, and this is why. It states, and I'm paraphrasing, but one of the most important elements of informed consent is the patient's capacity to understand the nature of her condition and the benefits and risks of the treatment that is recommended, as well as those of the alternative treatments. Voluntariness, the patient's freedom to choose among alternatives, is also an important element of informed consent, which should be free from coercion, pressure, or undue influence. 
I would argue that all these obstetricians that are forcing their patients to get these shots, I mean, this is criminal because our pregnant patients did not perish during the year 2020, as we were all told they would be because they don't do well with respiratory viruses. They didn't. And there's actually a patient by Beth Pinellis, P-I-N-E-L-E-S. She's a maternal fetal medicine physician out of Houston. She published this paper in May of 2022, but the data was collected from April of 2020 to May of 2021. And she showed with statistic significance that pregnant women did better than compared to non-pregnant women. They were less likely to end up on a ventilator with COVID and die. Yep. So, and our patients can be treated with hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin outside of the first trimester for ivermectin. But hydroxychloroquine has been used for decades in pregnant women because we have lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, and other conditions to where they're on hydroxychloroquine, 200 milligrams a day, which is the same dose we would use for five days to treat COVID. So there were alternatives, and these patients were not ever informed of the, of the risks, and they're certainly not being informed of the risks today. And you can't deny that the risks, I mean, everybody knows. I mean, you can't <laughs> deny that there's risks. And, and, and with that, I, w- I would be remiss if I didn't say happy birthday to Daniel. One of our listeners turned one year old today. A crazy thing. I don't know why they didn't name the baby after the doctor who treated her, but this pregnant woman was very scared about COVID, got COVID, and listened to the show. And one of the doctors I had on and took Pepsid, you know, um, 40 milligrams, and felt that that helped her and named the kid Daniel after me. Should have named the kid Eric, but... Um, <laughs> Anyway, great, great story there. But your point is that there are things that are on label for pregnant women um, or at least approved for pregnant women. And they're, of course, shunned. And this and and we're almost out of time. I really want to get your thought on this because you you teed it up very well. This whole lie about pregnant women being um, vulnerable, which is very believable. But the data never showed that. I did an article. I'm trying to dig this up. Uh, two years ago on that, the data showed exactly as you said, it was really the opposite. There was never any evidence of that. Um, and especially the first year of the pandemic, women in general, younger women did better than men um, with COVID. Uh, so that wasn't an issue. But what what scares me, Kim, is this. And I experienced this when my wife was pregnant, even before COVID, that <clears throat> You know, with every other therapeutic, they're very, very cautious with pregnant women. Don't take it. Don't take it if you don't have to. Uh, you know, really be careful. Talk to your doctor. But when it comes to vaccines, it's such a religion. It's the opposite. They say, well, pregnant women, you're so vulnerable, or the, the fetus is vulnerable. You got to take a bunch of things. Now, some of it on the surface, you could say, well, yes, yeah, certain things are, you know, a problem to a fetus. But likewise, putting all that pro inflammatory antibodies, of multiple genre of shots into a pregnant woman, who says that's okay? So in general, in the OBG profession, what do you do when you have this notion, you got to get all the flu shots, the pertussis shot, be up to date on this shot and that shot. Have we really studied that not only is there a rationale for it, but that that's it, that it's safe? No, I would argue we don't have that data. We have not provided pregnant women with a flu vaccine or a Tdap vaccination, which is supposed to cut down the pertussis in our country, um, and followed those pregnancies and the babies. 
have not been, and this is through a pediatrician I spoke to locally. I mean, we have no data showing that Tdap vaccination provided to pregnant women in the third trimester, so the mom can make antibodies for pertussis, pass it on to the baby. There's no studies following those babies to see if they have any issues moving forward or any, you know, if they're not reaching their milestones, et cetera. You know, we've always been told that women, if they get uh, the seasonal influenza infection, they're going to do very poorly because of cardiopulmonary changes in their system while they're pregnant. But I would say I've been doing this for almost 30 years, if you include my obstetric residency training. I've probably been involved in 8,000 pregnancies through the course of my career. I've never had a pregnant woman die of the flu. (laughs) I'm not saying it doesn't happen. Sure. I just personally haven't seen it. And I have a very diverse patient, you know, socioeconomic status and ethnicities. I mean, I don't have, you know, (laughs) I I must have very healthy patients because I've never, ever seen that happen. But that's the ticket that we're given in order to recommend the flu vaccine every year, which if you look on the CDC site is maybe 15, 60% effective. But you know, I just tell my patients, uh, these are the recommendations, but we don't really have any safety data to yep. support providing that. And I tell all my patients, I give them a little handout now that for all respiratory infections, you know, this is what you need to be on, um, vitamin D, C, zinc, quercetin, and you can take that while you're pregnant. And, you know, that'll b- beef up your God-given immune system to where you don't need all this other crap. And that's what's amazing. They make a premise that on the surface might make sense. You're pregnant, you're more more vulnerable. But like you're saying, clinically, do you really see young 30-year-old women die of the flu when they're pregnant or, you know, get seriously ill? It's a looming threat that they, they scare you with. But then when it comes to the vaccine, there's no such precautionary principle. Then it's the other end of the spectrum. It's all good. Anything, whatever, just put pump it in. Diphtheria, which where the hell is that coming from? Like what? So every time you get you need the pertussis, you got to throw in that, and it's all good. It's all good. Whatever you need, it is amazing to me. But then again, in your profession, there's people who think men could give birth. So I guess it's rooted in the same science, um, that same mass psychosis. Uh, thanks so much for what you're doing, raising awareness, and 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 please keep us updated on on your clinical observations. Well, thank you for having me, and just you know, uh, any pregnant women listening. I mean, now COVID is basically a head cold, but we do have treatment, and if you're feeling pressured to undergo anything, uh, let alone receive a vaccine from your physician, my advice would be you find a different physician. Amen. Just say no. Just say no. Informed consent. Dr. Biss, thanks so much for joining us. Looking forward to having you back again. Thank you so much. Have a good day. So certainly a lot of scary material to digest there. All of the problems that she's seeing with fetal maternal health and her data that she has from her practice is pretty unbelievable. And it all jives with the macro data. But yeah, I mean, you could have a generation of OBGs that will just close their mind to it, close their mind, close their hearts. This is the new era we're living in. You could have the most ubiquitous danger and death, and it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. And this is why I always say, I don't want to hear I'm pro-life, and then in the legislature or governor, you do nothing about this. First of all, it is being mandated by doctors, by OBGs. It's being mandated on pregnant women. 
in in hospital settings. And then again, even without a full mandate, you're not mandated to get an abortion, but we know it's murder, so we fight it. So this too, how do you allow this to go on? I mean, typically, if if you don't know what it does to a fetus, if you don't know what it does down the road, you don't give it to pregnant women. And this, what's scary, the dirty little secret that, and, and she let it out there, it's not just pregnant women. It's any female is really, I mean, any female, I guess, of childbearing age or before, which would include not just a girl, but a female fetus. Those eggs are in there. It's crossing the placenta. It gets into that fetus, that spike protein. Now, we still don't know the mechanics of what percentage do damage, you know, the different vials people got and how your body deals with it. But whatever percentage in general screws people up, let's say it's 10%, 8%, whatever that is, well, that's going to apply to the fetus. And now you have a whole generation of girls that might not never have even gotten the shot once they're born, hopefully didn't, but they kind of did. And what does that mean? I, 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 if you think for a couple minutes about the ramifications of what we already know and what that implies, it, it's it's shocking. But again, name me something more urgent than getting this off the market and immediately studying the ramifications and the treatment to reverse this. Literally, the regeneration of humanity depends upon this. We are out of time for this week. We're going to talk about some more legislation that actually deals with outcomes, outcomes, outcomes. Let's stay focused on what matters. Have a great weekend. Till Monday, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.